The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I will tell you after the pandemic, I don't know that I will ever get up here again and not appreciate the amazing people that I look out and see. There's so many of you that I know, some of you I have yet to know. Send me an, ast- uh, an email and I'll take you to an Astros game. Um, but there's so many of you that I do know and love and appreciate and I'm just glad to have you in my life. And I hope you get to know some people on your row that are around you. I can promise you, some of these people around you are some of the most amazing people you could ever meet. My task today um, is to tell you a little bit more of who Ecclesia is. We have this really um, amazing title for this series. It's just, who is Ecclesia? Who are we? Why do we exist? And I was tasked today to talk about what it means to be missional. And this is at the heart of who we are as a church. In fact, I regularly have had people through the years that have come to me, some really clearly, and just said, I'll never forget somebody I sat on this couch with. And they sat down and they just told me, listen, we're not gonna be coming to your church anymore and I want you to know why. And they said, we're exhausted. It's every week there's something going on in the world and we don't know when we're gonna pick up as a church and we're gonna be a part of this or that. And every week there's another crisis somewhere. And if we just keep trying to lean into all of them, like none of us are gonna have any money or any energy or anything to do anything and we're just done. And essentially they just said like, we just wanna go to church and not be bothered by all of that, right? And I went like, you know what? I kind of get it. Like there are places in me that I go, it is, You turn on the news and it is exhausting. But I I gotta tell you, one of my heroes of the faith is is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like he died for his faith. So you kind of have to listen to him after he does that. And this is what he says. He says, the church is only the church when it does not exist for itself, but for others that that's when the church is the church. And if we're not existing, if we exist for ourselves, and I get it, like, it would be great to go, like, anybody wanna just join a spiritual country club where you could, there's a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in, coffee's pretty good. They're even making like breakfast sandwiches over there that are amazing. They put it on a croissant and there's so many great things you can, and you just go like, I wanna be comfortable. And there's a part of me that gets it, but I gotta tell you, I see it the opposite way. And my guess is by the end of this sermon, you're gonna decide where you land. But I've decided that being a part of a community that can actually reach to every part of the globe and care for people and love people, that it's not exhausting, it's actually exhilarating. The fact that we can do things together that we could never do on our own. The fact that we can't solve every problem in the world, but you know what, we can be a force for good. And so when, when Puerto Rico was hit this week, I, I knew we would be leaning in. And my guess is you knew as well. And by the time I called Ramon, who helps lead our staff, Ramon was already telling me what we were doing before we even knew to do it. And that's part of what we're gonna do because we know what it's like to suffer. How many of you and Harvey five years ago had water in your house? We know what it feels like. And we're either gonna be these people that become hard-hearted and we forget, or we're gonna lean in, open-hearted. And I wanna be a part of that church. So my job today is to talk to you about what it means to be missional. So let me give you 
as best I can, if I was trying to do a real question, you're like, are you gonna preach like an auctioneer through the whole sermon? The answer is yes, because I have so much to tell you. And I'm hoping that you'll caffeinate fully and dial in and be a part of it with me. I think it's about the posture of who we are. From the beginning of the church, there was confusion about what the church was. Was worshiping God um, and loving God a, a state of the heart and a being, or was it a matter of what you did and how you do it? So at the beginning of the church, this was the debate. A lot of people thought, just like maybe your grandparents think, like maybe they're a part of a Baptist or a Catholic church, and they think worshiping God has to be done a certain way. In the beginning of the church, that was the struggle. There were two primary figures in that struggle. One's name was Peter and the other's name was Paul. And Peter believed that if you were gonna worship the one true God, there was one way to do it. It was the Jewish way. And he thought, if you're gonna worship the one true God, you've got to celebrate Shabbat, the Sabbath, on this way. Men need to wear these hats and cover their heads and you need to go to the temple and you need to be a part of a synagogue and there's certain ways that you're gonna do it and you're gonna do it in a very Jewish way, probably speaking Hebrew and that's, and babies are gonna have, little boys are gonna have their foreskins clipped on a certain day by every, and that was the way to do it. And Paul said, yeah. It's not really that big a deal, foreskin or no foreskin. It's not really that big a deal whether you worship on this day or that way. It's not really a big a deal if you read in the Hebrew or if you sing this song or that song, or you pray this prayer or that prayer. He said, actually among other cultures and people, you can worship God in a totally different way. And churches look totally different. They sing different songs. Are you guys tracking with me or are you guys asleep already? So. Where that debate, that tension fell, would dictate everything you need to know about the future of the church. And who was right? Paul. Paul was right. And Peter ultimately had to go like, hey, I missed it on that one. Like, sorry. You don't have to be Jewish to worship God. You don't have to talk like a Jew or act like a Jew or wear clothes like a Jew, that you could worship the one true God in any and every culture and that God loves all cultures. And that's why he made us so beautiful. You ever go to a different place and think, I would never know to eat that. Like you took that part of the pig and you did what with it? And it tastes like that? Like, okay, I there's just so much beauty in every culture. And you're like, pastor, are you always gonna bring it back to food? The answer is yes, yes, I will because that's where God has shown me his greatest love, right? And in Hebrews 11, we get this, the, one of my favorite turns of phrase in all the scripture, and this is what I want you to think about. Do I want to be, and this is ultimately the question, do I wanna be a part of a spiritual country club where I get to just say like, yeah, I'm a Christian? Or do I wanna be on mission? Do I wanna live a life that's, that in Hebrews 11, they said they saw these believers and this is what they said about them. The world was not worthy of these saints. He said they wandered across deserts, across mountains, lives in caves, cracks and crevices. What were they saying? They lived so beautifully. They shared what they had. They were generous with people. They were joyful. They lived a life that said they're, they're not even worthy of this world because they, they chose to live in a really unique and beautiful way and we have the opportunity to live in the same way today. I grew up in a church where the idea of being a Christian was to pull as far away from the world as you possibly could. And the idea was that the bad people were going to infect you. We used to go sit at the Astros games among the general population. I remember going, this is what the world is like. like 
people sit in the outfield and they drink too much beer and they spill it on each other and they custody and you're like, you gotta stay away from those people, right? I got so many Astros stories in the Astrodome. Finally, my dad took home Batty Bob. Anybody remember Batty Bob? Batty Bob changed my life. He was the unofficial mascot for the Astros in those days, which means he owned a rainbow wig and people would buy him beers at the game and he would get passed out drunk at almost every game. And we took him home after a game. And I remember asking my dad, like, why did we take him home, right? Like, why is Batty Bob in my brother's room and my brother is sleeping in my room? Like, why? And he goes, because God loves that guy. Like, he, he does? Because I'd never heard that in church. Like, the idea was the world's going to hurt you. And, and they got weird music, and their music is so powerful, you even understand it backwards. Anybody here? <laughs> It had messages backwards that were going to get in your head, right? Years ago, just to mess with people, we actually played some of my sermons backwards until you found like a pattern. And in one sermon, literally, I say it backwards. I send it to you in an email. I say, eat sushi in bathroom. That's what I say. And <laughs> if you listen to me backwards. So some of you were all of a sudden in the bathroom like, I don't know why, but I want to eat sushi in here. I don't even know why. The truth is like your brain doesn't process things backwards. Like... You didn't, there was no reason to be so afraid of the world that we actually, Jesus tells us in John 17, we were made to be a part of this world. So he prays for us. When Jesus prays for you, it's a big deal. And this is what Jesus prayed. He said to the Father, I'm returning to you, but I'm gonna speak this prayer here in the created cosmos. This was for all who would believe. This is for us alongside friends and foes, that they would be consumed with joy. He wanted us, when we heard this prayer that he prayed for us, to be filled with joy. He says, I've given them your word and the world has despised them because they're not products of the world. In the same way, I'm not a product of the cor corrupt world order. He said, they're not just so easily shaped by the world that they become a product of, but he says this, do not take them out of this world, protect them from the evil one, let them live in the world. And this is what I believe Ecclesia true Christianity is. The Bible tells us greater is he that is in us than he that is, say it again just so we know, greater is he that is in us than he that is, that we don't have to be afraid. That we actually get to live in this world believing that we're the ones that are contagious. That if you live a life that's filled with joy and beauty and forgiveness and generosity and kindness, and hospitality that other people will go, I, I wanna live like that. That's how I wanna live. And so we get to live as a part of a community where we don't have to be obsessed with our own egos or our own fears. And as we lay down those fears, really beautiful things happen. The disciples were in a similar place of fear in John chapter 20. They were afraid that people were out to get them. And this is what you need to know, if you're afraid, Nothing good really happens. I was talking with a sister after the last service and she said, I, I need to talk to you because she, I, years ago, 10 years ago, was hit by a car while I was walking with my kids and, um, and she was hit by a car last week and she just wanted to process some of the experience. And I will tell you, one of the hard things after you get hit by a car, and especially in a day where everybody's on their phone while they're driving, is that everywhere you go now, you just assume nobody's gonna stop, right? 
like the guy that hit me, the girl that hit her, like they didn't hit the brakes till after. It was the sound of my rear end on his windshield that was like, oh, I got a problem. Like I need to stop, right? And you start to live in this place of fear everywhere you walk that's like, is anybody reliable? But if you, if you let that fear take over, right, you won't go anywhere. You won't go for a walk. And it's not, you got to let it go. The disciples were in this place of fear and nothing good. Any, anybody grow up in a church where fear was used as a motivator, right? Like my grandfather was really good at it. He would preach sermons on hell. And I think sometimes they would turn on the heat without telling us. And... <laughs> It was just hot and it was hell and it was literally you're like, I got to come to God because I do not want to go to hell, right? But the truth is like fear will only motivate you for a little while. This is true in parenting, by the way, with kids, right? If your kids are afraid of you, it might help in a few little, but the long run, it won't help. Like fear won't do it. That we have to get to a place where we move past our fear. And so the disciples, you need to know this, they were in a place, they were scared. They literally were living behind locked doors, afraid to leave. And Jesus was like, I love messing with the disciples. So this is what he did. It tells us that on resurrection Sunday, the followers gathered behind locked doors in fear the Jewish leaders were hunting them down, essentially. And out of nowhere, Jesus appeared in the center of the room, right? Just being Jesus, just like, hey, you think you can lock the doors, but I'm Jesus and here I am. And in the middle of the room, then he tells them, listen, may each one of you be at peace. I can see, what are, you, what are you afraid of? What are the fears that capture you? Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid that you won't make the impact in life that you're supposed to, whatever those things are. Jesus said, what if you found peace? And then it said, as he was speaking, he revealed the wounds in his hands and his side, and the disciples began to celebrate as it sank in that they were really seeing the Lord, right? And Jesus said, I give you the gift of peace. Now, if I could give you a gift today, peace would be a pretty great gift. Like one that you just said, I... I'm at peace with who I am and what I have and what I've been given and the reality that it, the place we are in the world. And then he said, in the same way the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. And he drew close enough to them that they could feel his breath. Now what I love about this passage is not just the passage, what I love is what happened afterwards. You had a bunch of cowards that were hiding that essentially said, nope, not anymore. And they started to go out and declare the love of Jesus, be a part of God's healing work in the world, spread this word of love and kindness in a way that was transformative, right? And they went from being afraid to being fearless. And I wanna be a part of a community where people live that way. So I wanna share with you just a few thoughts, some simple things that we can do in practical ways to live that out. Um, these are some things I've shared with you before, but I think are just common practices of people that want to live on mission together. I, I believe that each of us has an inner radar. You probably got it about the time you were sixth grade, that if you wanted to, 
you could be aware of the person in every room that's feeling left out if you wanted to tune into it. So what does it look like for each of us to be the person that literally greets everyone? That everywhere you go, you tune into that, right? Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? That you, that, that you, you, if you actually, you don't always use it, but if you actually just stopped and you took a breath, even in this room, you'd have a sense of like, oh, they're feeling totally alone. And you actually also have the gift, I think, if you listen to the Spirit, to be able to go, I actually, I actually know what to say to them to bridge a gap. Just a word of kindness get something for them, just some sense of presence that I see you, right? So what does it look like in Houston where we have people that are alienated everywhere they go? Part of what I've told you historically is I think the most alienated uh, in the most diverse city in the United States, our Arab and Muslim friends feel left out when I talk to them, they feel left out everywhere. They just feel like, like they're not seen or understood, right? So I've told you before, if you just, if you will just take the simple practice of every time you see a Muslim friend uh, or a neighbor in Houston, that you would just give them the Muslim greeting of peace, right? That you would say to them, Salaam Alaikum. And they'll say to you, Alaikum Salaam, right? And all of a sudden you're at this place where you can have a little bit of conversation. What'd you say? You said what Jesus said to the disciples, peace be upon you. Would you, I'm praying you're at peace. Like it's a pretty good greeting. I should greet you with it more often. Just like, would you please be at peace? What do we tell you when you leave the church? Go in peace. That peace would be upon you. Would you use that sixth sense when you're in a meeting, when you're at a dinner, when you're at a ballpark, wherever you are, just that sense of maybe there's somebody that's feeling left out. Second, would you live the kind of life that beckons questions? This is what the Bible talks about. This kind of life that people go, Why'd you do that? And what's that about? You've got an opportunity in almost any meeting you're in at work to either try to focus on, and you know what it's like when you see people that everything they do is about making them look good, and sometimes that's at your expense, right? I did it right, which means they did it wrong. You've got the opportunity to live a life that's different than how often people live, and actually in the workplace, build other people up. One of my favorite things that we do with our Ecclesia staff, we give high fives at the beginning of our meeting. And some of our meetings, it goes on forever, partly because we got so many great staff members, but our culture has become one where people love to celebrate the successes of their coworkers, because it's amazing. I gotta tell you, if you became the person in your workplace that was constantly pointing out to other people how great they were at what they would do, you, you would be a part of transforming your workplace. And people would wonder like, why, why do they wanna build me up? Aren't they competing with me? Aren't they wanting to make themselves look better? And the irony, right, is that when you care to lift other people up, you're actually the one that looks better, right? You you come across as a person that you'd want to be friends with, that you'd want to work with. Thirdly, what does it look like when you use that sixth sense to make some intentional friendships? Now, many of you, I'm busy, I, I got friends, most of us don't never have enough good friends. But I've learned through the years that God puts people in our path that if we will take the opportunity, we make a significant impact on them. Would you listen to that voice, whether it's a coworker, a neighbor, or a friend? Years ago, um, at the gym that I work out at, there was this guy that was about four lockers down from me, 
All I knew was his name was Daryl, and I could tell he was fascinating. And I just knew, like, I want to be friends with Daryl. And so one day something came up. He was going out with friends, and something, he mentioned something about that his favorite drink was a gin and tonic, right? So I stored it away. I wanted to be Daryl's friend. I could just tell Daryl was cool. And at my gym, I realized they have ice and they have limes at the gym. And the only things you need to make a gin and tonic now, if you've got ice and limes, are gin and tonic. So I started keeping it in my locker. And then after a workout, I finally said to Daryl one day, I said, hey, Daryl, you want a gin and tonic? And he's like, heck yeah, I want a gin and tonic. How'd you know I love gin and tonics? And I went, I, I don't know. And I made Daryl a gin and tonic. I didn't know at that point, Daryl was, uh, uh, he was from Louisiana, uh, but for about 12 years, he played Major League Baseball. He was a really good, he was a really great baseball player. He hit like 320 one year. And Daryl was then working for Major League Baseball as the assistant commissioner, which meant he was the guy that busted people when they took steroids or did something wrong, which meant he had a million great stories. And Daryl and I became friends. Now, the awkward part is that as you're becoming friends, I always have this weird like coming out of like, uh, hey, sorry, I'm a pastor, right? And you could tell like the dude making me genotonics is a pastor. Crap. It's always disappointing. People are always like, oh, really, really? You're my neighbor. And, uh, but Daryl had a moment and I remember he said like, I, I got a lot going on. Like I could probably use a pastor that's my friend. And Daryl and I went a lot deeper after that. I can tell you that at one point, um, Daryl made it to church. That Daryl... Um, asked me a lot of questions about what it looked like for him and the place he was in his life to follow Jesus. I remember him telling me that from the time he was a kid, he knew he loved Jesus. Um, we had that conversation about six months before Daryl was murdered. And when Daryl was murdered, there was this one, it was, it's still today, when I passed by his locker, it's, it's a hard place. But I look back and I go, I am so glad I listened to that little voice that said, make that man a gin and tonic, right? Like, like we were friends for a reason. And my guess is you have those moments too, that you go like, I, we sh and you just, it feels risky. It kind of, you know, asking him to have a gin and tonic, it kind of felt like asking somebody out on a date, right? It was like, you're like, is he gonna say he doesn't? No, I would never drink a gin and tonic with you, you idiot. You're obviously a pastor. I mean, you look like a pastor which is the worst insult you can offer to someone, right? Like, I don't know, like, I don't know if he wants to be my friend, but Daryl needed me as a friend and I needed Daryl as a friend. And part of living well in this world is about making some really intentional friendships. And I literally don't know who those people are, but I believe you've got a Daryl in your life as well. Then, um, I think I got two more, I'll try to make these faster. Would you do this? Would you try to embrace, and this is, it seems paradoxical, but it's not, embrace both generosity and simplicity. Uh, we live in a world of excess, and, and the American way is about more and more and more and more and more, and it's about getting more and then more of everything. And part of what I believe is that we are meant to experience God's extravagance and beauty, but that we need to be smart in how we do it, right? So to be a part of what God's doing, the story I tell is about my friend Kevin. My friend Kevin um, 
made decent money most of his life, but then he started writing books and he was so good at it, he started writing a lot of books. People would hire them to write his book and ultimately ended up writing like 50 books and some of them became bestsellers. And so he got this thing that all of us would love to have, this beautiful thing they call mailbox money, right? You don't even do anything anymore and checks just keep coming into your mailbox, right? And one day he looked up and he was like, I am making so much money. And he went, I gotta figure this out. Because he was smart enough to know if he didn't, that he would do what all of us would end up doing and just spending all this money on things that probably don't matter. And this is what he did. He said, they found two things in life that they really valued. He said, we, we really value travel and our family and I wanna take my kids all across the globe and my grandkids and they would spend money on travel and they would buy tickets for everybody and they would make it an amazing thing. And then they said, we really value hospitality so we're gonna stay in the same place but we're gonna make a garage apartment in our house that's like the Taj Mahal. I mean, it's got a jacuzzi tub and it's better than any hotel you've ever stayed at and you stay there and it's, it's amazing. And then he said, everything else, we're gonna keep the same. We're gonna live in the same house. We're gonna drive the same cars. This is my friend that also would get upset when his wife would constantly bump into things and dent the car. So when he buys a new car, he would go out and take a hammer and put the first dent in it right away, right? And it was just his way of saying like, that's a thing. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, I wonder, how many of us are confused about what, what are things and what are people? Like, how do we live in a world where we're not moved by what's happening in the Ukraine or at the Venezuela border or something else and, and we're worried about our things because our things start to own us. And he essentially said, my things aren't gonna own me. And then they started giving away everything else. I gotta tell you, if we live that way, both generous and simple, we would be a part of a beautiful world and a church like ours that's gonna be involved in the Ukraine, in Argentina, in the Fifth Ward, in the downtown area with our homeless brothers and sisters, in Puerto Rico when there's a storm, in Florida when there's a storm. And some of you are gonna go, I'm exhausted, I just want a spiritual country club. Fine. But I hope in the rest of you go, I would, I'm actually energized by that. I remember what it was like to be underwater and I don't want to forget my brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. I want to lean in. I want to be a part of it. There's this mentality that's either either or, right? It's either either or, or it's both and, right? And I want to be a part of a both and church that says, no, we'll do that and we'll do that and we'll do that because God has given us abundance. And then, um, and by the way, if you're generous, would you just do this? We could transform the stereotype of Christians in one felt swoop if all of you would just be good tippers, right? Especially when you're leaving church and going, anybody else wait tables and be like, oh Lord, it's Christian people. Like, oh, this is gonna suck. You know, they leave nothing. They're high maintenance and then they leave nothing. They pray before, the, as soon as they pray before your meal, you're like, well, that's gonna suck, so. How about we be the most generous tippers? Then lastly, I think this is the last one. Is it the last one? Yeah. Would you just leave it better than you found it? Right? Don't, don't most of us just go like, if I could leave this world better than I found it, and everywhere I go, I do something positive. I, I, one of my habits, I walk a lot. I can't really run, but 
I like to eat, which means I have to walk. And I've just learned like if I walk and I carry a little bag and I just pick up trash along the way, that everybody that I encounter goes, they, they just like, why are you doing that? Is that your job? What's the, there was this broken glass in my neighborhood years ago and I finally went out and swept it. And literally three neighbors came out and said, are you on like a committee with the, like, like that you, and I'm just, I'm just the dude that lives down the street that didn't want us to all run over the glass all week, right? That, that it just, nobody, nobody knows what to do with somebody that actually goes, I want to make this world a better place. And, and just with the small things, right? Learn what your coworkers, how they like their coffee. I gotta tell you, when somebody knows how you like your coffee, Anybody else have the experience? I feel seen, like, like you know, like I just, by the way, I like it with just a little bit of honey, just in case you're curious. <laughs> just a little bit of honey, not much, not, I don't really want it sweet, it's really just a drop of honey. But when somebody makes my coffee for me just like I like it, I go, you know, like, you, you care. If you learn how all the people you're working with, like how they like their coffee, you, you just make a statement to them that says like, I, I see you. And this is my take, is like most of the world just wants to be seen and loved. And I'm not overwhelmed by being a part of a community that says we're gonna keep leading in. I actually think it's the best way we could possibly live. And I'm hoping you're in with me. There's two ways you can do that for sure. One is you can serve. And this is a QR code that literally will link you with a plethora of volunteer opportunities at Ecclesia. These will both be up after the service. Not a single person wants to volunteer. Two or three want to volunteer. You can literally, you just grab your phone. It'll give you a ton of opportunities to volunteer. And then if you give, and again, Mike said it, if you automate your giving, it makes a difference. Both QR codes will be up at the end of the service. And you can snap that. If you go, I'm going to serve and I'm going to give, then you're a part of a community that we really get to do something significant together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.